the thing about an, a country like the Bahamas, we actually don't emit much carbon emissions because mm -hmm. of our size, mm -hmm. population, and the level of industry. And so what we really need to do is to convince the larger countries, the larger polluters, to really help us with this effort, help us with um, by everybody getting together and realizing that climate change is real. It is happening and it is affecting some of the smallest countries and some of the poorest countries. Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. The IWF is a global network of more than 7,000 leaders from 33 nations. They are policymakers, executives, pioneers, and instigators of change, united to advance women's leadership and champion global gender equity. And each month in the studio, we talk with one of these trailblazing leaders as they share stories of lessons learned and insights gained from their journeys. So let's talk about life in leadership. Our featured IWF member today is Sonia Brown an engineer and founder of Graphite Engineering, which has grown under her watch to become one of the leading engineering firms in the Bahamas. And not only has Sonia built her own very, very successful firm, but during her groundbreaking tenure as president of the Bahamas Society of Engineers, she grew the association's membership and oversaw the passing of the Professional Engineers Act, which has raised the bar for the engineering profession in the Bahamas and aligned it with international standards. And Sonia is also an advocate for the advancement of women. She is immediate past president of the PACE Foundation, which provides education and life skills to pregnant teens and new teen mothers. And of course, she is an active member of the Bahamas and the International Women's Forum. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you for that introduction. Well, how long have you been an IWF member, Sonia? Well, my journey with IWF actually started in 2002 when I became a fellow ah, in the Leadership Foundation okay. Program. Yes, that's how I was introduced to IWF. Okay. And shortly, yeah. And shortly after the fellowship, I was invited to become a member of IWF Bahamas. Well, would you share um, maybe just a little bit about the experience in terms of what uh, the fellowship impact was that obviously led you to say, yes, I'm very busy, but I'm going to make time for this organization? Well, I have often said to anyone who will listen that the fellowship program truly changed my life. It was really um, impactful. I was leaving the public service as a, an engineer and joining the team of Atlantis at the time. So Atlantis Paradise Island is a hotel property 
and um, they are the at the time they were the second largest employer to the Bahamas government, and a completely different culture than working in a pretty laid back public service job. But you know, it was a challenge that I was looking forward to, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the learning that I got from the fellows program really helped me to not only survive, (laughs) we can all understand that, (laughs) but you know, it also helped me to, to really thrive while I was there and to see things differently. Well, what was it about the leadership foundation experience and, and training, let's say that prepared you to uh, step up and obviously do very, very well in that challenging um, next assignment? But most importantly, a part of the uh, key component in the um, fellows program is training that we get at Harvard University. And so as a part of that, we could present a case study. And so I presented my case study to the class mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was selected to be solved. Ah. And I got so much insight, you know, at the time when I did the program, the classes was small, it was 16 of us. And, um, and so just talking it through with the facilitators and my fellow fellows, (laughs) they helped me to see the whole thing differently. Because I looked at this new position as a great opportunity, but I felt um, almost defeated every day. Because, uh-huh. you know, you're working with demanding people and uh, they're giving you a lot of what seemed like negative feedback. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so the fellows helped me to understand that, look, this is a great job. You <laughs> are very visible and you have the opportunity to learn in these specific ways. Mm-hmm. You took another big risk when you decided to... Um start your own firm. At the time, there were a lot of people telling me, you know, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. <laughs> Why are you leaving this great job? Yeah. And whatever else. But the idea for being a consultant actually came from one of my very first lectures at the University of the West Indies, where I studied in Trinidad. And a lot of our lecturers were also consultants throughout the Caribbean. And, um, you know, and this this one lecturer, he was a civil engineer, he talked about how he used to have to go diving to inspect bridges, and it just sounded so exciting to have that, the flexibility of not necessarily working for one particular company, but to provide services to any number of clients wherever they happen to be in the world. You know, I know that you also um, are a very important voice and care deeply about the the issue of climate change. And, you know, as we are recording this just a few minutes before we started, uh, Time Magazine announced that um, their person of the year is 16-year-old Swedish activist Greta Thunberg. And uh, she is the youngest person ever to be named um, Person of the Year by Time Magazine. And I want to talk to you about climate change, but before we get into that whole issue, um, I want to learn a lot about you as a young girl. Uh, Tell us a little bit about 
Sonia, um, how you grew up, or perhaps um, as you were about the age of Greta Thunberg, I mean, how was it that you began to find your voice and um, start your leadership journey? Now, that's the most difficult question. But <laughs> 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 um, what I, I want to just mention, um, to say something about, you know, the... Um, recognition that's being given to Greta. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, it really, it makes sense because the young people will inherit whatever we do right now. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, you know, that's, that is just absolutely wonderful. And it, it, it just makes a lot of sense to me as to, um, my background grew up in a large Catholic family, <laughs> mm -hmm. nine children. I am seven of nine. Okay, I uh, am one of seven, so I can relate to <laughs> how you grew up. I'm the big sister. Oh, okay, yeah. So, and I actually had an older brother who um, piqued my interest in being um, engineering and mm -hmm. um, being pursuing engineering because he was um, looking at engineering himself. Okay, and so. Um, that kind of piqued my interest. And I also, at the time when I was in high school, everybody wanted to be either a doctor or a lawyer. And I was, I just wanted to be different. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to do something that was not considered traditionally female. I don't know where that came from. One thing I can say is that um, it didn't, occurred to me um, until recently that the way we were raised, there was never a distinction about what girls could do and what girls couldn't do, it, especially in terms of play. Um, I didn't know that girls didn't climb trees. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so we climbed trees and we um, spin topped when we played marbles and you know mm -hmm. we just did every we just played and so you know I'm just looking back on it now and maybe that had something to do with the way I saw myself because mm -hmm. my mother didn't say well girls can't do that yeah one of the things that she did say um was to all of our girls to make sure that you get a profession and that you can take care of yourself, that you're not dependent on anybody else to take care of you. She mm -hmm. said that to all of her girls. Mm -hmm. Of course, you've had many challenges and obstacles that you needed to overcome along the way. Um, were those primarily uh, gender-based, or what were they? Um, actually, in the Bahamas, the getting wrecked, Recognition or being um, accepted as a profession has more to do, I would say, with nationality than gender. Um, and it perhaps has something to do with our history. But a lot of, you know, was kind of seen the foreign engineer knows more than the Bahamian engineer. Ah. And yeah, so it, not that they're weren't issues with gender. Like, I remember, um, you know, someone telling me I was working as a summer student 
at the Electricity Corporation. And this gentleman came up to me and he told me, you will never be an engineer. You're not strong enough to be an engineer. <laughs> you know, it was kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I would say that being a female engineer has worked to my advantage more than not. In what way? In that, in that along the way in my career, I encountered a lot of men who were probably feminist and they wanted to be the person to hire the female engineer mm -hmm. or to give the female engineer an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I benefited from working along with men who thought that way. And, you know, um, maybe they had daughters who they wanted to succeed as well. You know, I don't know where their thinking came from. Well, let's talk climate. Because from reading uh, what you have written, uh, you, you wrote a newspaper column for many years, uh, clearly you are a voice on this issue. Um, give us your perspective on how grave you see the situation facing our planet. Well, let me bring it home first, because um, as we speak, the Bahamas is still grappling, very much so with major destruction that took place in the islands of Abaco and Grand Bahama, our second and third, um, I guess, cities and really keys to our economic engine. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, for us here in the Bahamas, it's, it's very personal. It, you know, we, for many years saw other countries being devastated, devastated, but you know, it, it's our turn. And, um, and we also can't look at what happened in September as a one in a 200 year event. Um, we experience hurricanes. We have a hurricane season mm -hmm. every year. And one of the things that is so hard about Dorian is that we thought we knew exactly what to do. And so for persons who are listening, um, the Bahamas is an archipelago. Mm -hmm. But we're also a very small country, only about 300,000 people with the majority of the population on one island, New Providence. But our building control department is responsible for, I guess there are about 27 or so islands that are inhabited. And so that's a challenge as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, climate change for us is, is very real. Um, there are there's a lot that the Bahamas could be doing. And um, those of us in the industry are really doing what we can to sensitize government and all help. I also want to brag about the fact that I just got my first EV, my fully electric vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I now wave past the gas stations instead of stopping. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, it's a collaborative effort. And the thing about an, a country like the Bahamas, we actually don't emit much carbon emissions because mm -hmm. of our size, mm -hmm. population, and the level of industry. 
And so what we really need to do is to convince the larger countries, the larger polluters to really help us with this effort, help us with um, by everybody getting together and realizing that climate change is real. It is happening and it is affecting some of the smallest countries and some of the poorest countries. I know that you are um, an advocate of holding political leaders feet to the fire. And, um, and as, you, as you said, we all need to come together as global citizens to tackle this thing. But can you give us some specific examples of things that individuals can do um, besides having your own electric vehicle, as you have just done? <laughs> There's that. And then also looking at how much do you really need you know, because one of the, my understanding is one of the biggest industries in the world, I guess, especially among larger nations like the U.S. and Canada, is storage, right? <laughs> so we buy stuff and then we buy a place to store them. And so we're storing them. Chances are we don't even remember what we bought right. and we're not even using it. Right. And um, and so, look, I would say, look at how you're consuming, what you're consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I have done, also for health reasons, is to limit my um, consumption of meat. Mm-hmm. So I eat very little meat now. I tend to eat a plant-based diet. And, well, in the Bahamas, we eat a lot of seafood as well. And I also avoid some of the Nassau Grupo, which is close to being endangered, and opt for other types of fish that may not be so popular. You know, so look at your consumption in every way. What are you buying? What are you eating? Even with the electric vehicle, um, you know, drive in a way that you, um, you know, just... What did I say? You know, you're not on the road unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. You are making sure that you're making sensible decisions with everything that you do. And also educate the, the generation that's coming behind. Would you share with us maybe a final thought about um, something that um, you use as either a mantra or inspiration to keep that fire in your belly burning? I tend tend to do is to just remain grateful and to, as often as I can, pay it forward. See who I can lift up, whether it's a teenage mother or someone in the engineering industry. And, um, yeah, and so that's pretty much how I live my life. Mm-hmm. Just remain grateful. Well, I'm grateful for you taking the time from your very busy schedule to talk with us, and I hope that you will think about um, coming to the World Leadership Conference of the International Women's Forum that is going to be held in our city of Motown, Detroit, uh, this October. And you may know that there's tremendous building going on in Detroit, but more interesting than that is all of the renovation that's going on of these spectacular buildings that have been abandoned for many, many years. 
Okay, well, so there are two things pulling me towards Detroit as a mechanical engineer. That's one of the places I dream about studying and working. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and so, and the other thing, the idea of refurbishing buildings, and I just love that. That's the, it's the most difficult side of my job, but it's the most interesting. Um, taking an existing building and reimagining what it could be. I love that. And thank you, Sonia Brown, founder and principal of Graphite Engineering, one of the leading engineering firms in the Bahamas, uh, for being with us. Uh, Also an advocate, mentor, and voice for young girls and women, and a member of the International Women's Forum. Thanks for listening, everyone, to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. We hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership.